the Giants began the season 0-2, while the Saints were 0-3. Both have only lost once since. This Sunday, they go head-to-head at the Superdome. Touchdown! Coverage begins at noon Eastern on ESPN Radio. You cannot lose games in the NFL and still win. One day I understand. One day, go see the baby be born and come back. You're a Major League Baseball player. Did I not tell you? Yes, you did. Oh, see, don't answer. I, this, these are rhetorical questions. Because you know I told you, and you know I'm not. Analytics don't work, work at all. They're just a no crap to some nothing. people who were really smart, made up, and tried to get in the game because they had no talent. This kid is a gamer. He's a follower. He's a playmaker. And a shot mother. In case you didn't know, I got T-Bowed. He shattered the mold. And all he does is win. All, all, all he does is win. Hello and welcome to Hot Takedown 538's podcast about the week in sports narratives. But this week, it's really the week in Neil Payne's Cape Wear. It's a stat school edition. I'm Chad Matlin, an editor at 538. With me in the room, Kate Fagan, ESPNW columnist. Hi, Kate. Hi, Chad. And Neil Payne, the stat man himself. Hi, Neil. How's it going? Good. You seem a little frantic today, Neil. You he needs to good? run to the phone booth. Yeah, yeah. And well, change. I, yeah, I got to change. By the time that people are hearing this, the thing that you are so frantic about will have gone live on 538. Uh, yeah, so and no I guess we're not allowed to say exactly what it is, but check out, check out the site Sorry, several Kate. days in the past. You no, got to go to 538.com. So I need to have check, like, check the site four days ago by the time this... Well, you've got an inside oh, scoop. That's, you can, that's right. an interesting point. Two days, yeah. So I'm on vacation. Right. Kate, you're in I'm LA. I'm at ESPNW Summit in Dana Point, California. Excellent. Uh, listeners should come say hey. But say that hello be a if creepy, you're down actually. there. Uh, and Neil, you, again, as usual, you are here. I'm here in New York. Uh, so, as I said, Stat School Edition. We are here not to talk about baseball. We're going to talk about football. Mm-hmm. It's football season. And we're going to run through, as we always do, three different stats in ascending complexity. We're going to start super simple. Kate and I are going to ask even more simple-minded questions of Neil as, we, as, as he explains uh, the stat to us. Then we're going to uh, talk about a player, that, that, um, that, that, what, what, is, what that stat says about the player, and then how the next stat differs. Uh, in this case, we have two players. We'll reveal them as we go. Uh, and I think we should jump right into it if you, guys, if it. you guys are ready. Yeah. Let's do it. I Neil, learn. today we're talking about quarterbacks. What is the first quarterback stat lesson that you have for us and our listeners? Sure. Um, so the first stat that we're going to talk about is a very simple one and one that is kind of natural to use for uh, quarterbacks, certainly because they assume a lot of the responsibility for any team, uh, especially when we're talking about media narratives about teams. And uh, perhaps this also harkens back to the stat school we did about baseball pitching stats uh, and the fact that pitchers were assigned wins and losses because this is also the concept of giving quarterbacks wins and losses and, I suppose, ties because those are possible in the NFL uh, that, you know, what's Drew Brees' record. What's Tom Brady's record? That's something that sort of gets thrown around. Um, you have to win games start. in the NFL to be a winner. That's right. You that, cannot you know, lose the games. And still and have still, a winning and still yeah. win statistics. The games. Yeah. yeah. You cannot do that. Uh, okay, so quarterback win percentage. Kate, does this sound like a simple stat? Too simple of a stat to you? I don't, I mean, too simple? Like, like if I told you that someone went, was, had a winning percentage oh, right. of 600, right, in their quarterback career, would you, would you think that the quarterback was good automatically? Or would you say, wait, maybe there's some other stuff going on? I there? think at one point in time I would have thought that. Where, like, growing up, like, 10, 12 years old, I definitely thought it was, there was a complete direct correlation between quarterback performance and winning. 
especially someone who grew up watching Phil Simms, <laughs> who probably had a pretty high winning percentage at I'm the sure. end of the day. Not a high commentating um, percentage, though. Right, but it kind of goes back to something, a thread through a lot of our podcasts is how incredibly difficult it is to influence a football game as a single football player. And so as I've come to grasp that more and more, I'm obviously also disassociating a player and their actual talent and perhaps ability at the NFL level with their win-loss record. Yeah, and one of the um, kind of things that I think caused people to latch on to wins and losses in the first place is when you look at the winningest quarterbacks, it actually does kind of make sense. Like It, it seems like it's not that bad of a stat because Aaron Rodgers, Tom you got Brady Aaron Rodgers, Rodgers, you got Peyton Manning, you got Tom Brady, you got Russell Wilson. So uh, it it does pass the smell test, and I think that's something it's an interesting that point. You don't really, I can't at. really think of a great quarterback stuck on a bad team. And that's partly because great quarterbacks make so many other people better around them, but also teams tend to shape themselves to a good quarterback and right. make your run with free agents, and free agents want to come play with good quarterbacks. And also I wonder, like, obviously there's a problem like at CEO and company levels where perhaps there's people who could become great CEOs, but there's so few CEO positions and, this, and people who get there don't leave the CEO position that sometimes I'm like, there are probably like thousands of great, perhaps heads of companies who never got the opportunity. Neil, I guess my question for that is, like, do you think there have been quarterbacks who would have been amazing quarterbacks and just never got the chance to leave the backup role? Uh, well, uh, certainly that seems possible. Uh, we've even seen quarterbacks Give me like a stat, Kurt Neil. Warner uh, <laughs> and, and uh, you know various others over the years sort of Tom Brady. take over. Tom Brady himself, yeah, is pr- maybe the archetypical example of this, where uh, a guy wasn't thought of very highly and then by some freak injury to the starter uh, was given a chance and ran with it. But I think we've seen the cases in which that is true have, are vastly outnumbered by the cases where, you know, the backup does come in and the team is really, you know, not as good uh, and and doesn't make the most of that opportunity. But and also to go to your point, Chad, about like, it's hard to think of a great quarterback that doesn't have a great winning percentage. I think that says a, a lot about what, how we define a great quarterback. Is it, uh, I think, more that it's chicken and egg, right? Like, do we consider someone to be a great quarterback if they don't have a good winning percentage? And I think uh, for the majority of football history, certainly in the media and the narratives that get built there, uh, I don't think that's true. Like, you have to be a winner to be a great quarterback, and you be a winner by winning, and then that makes you a but great But you also have to be a winning quarterback to keep quarterbacking your team to hmm. then stack up the years to be considered in the pantheon of the greats because i mean if you're posting seven and nine records continuously the team is not going to continue shaping around their current roster they're going to want to redo things so and i understand that this is the simplest of of the metrics that you're going to talk to us about neil but it seems like it's not a wholly tainted one like i i do want a good quarterback to be a winner like i i don't think that's unreasonable of a request as a fan or even a, a stat savvy fan that that Good quarterbacks should be winners, I think. Yeah. No, I mean, it's that's why uh, the, the leaders in it are kind of considered the best quarterbacks on top of this chicken and egg thing is that playing quarterback well uh, is associated pretty strongly with winning football games for your team. I think the issue is just that there are statistics out there that are better at isolating the quarterback himself and filtering out the the contributions of his teammates and perhaps the non-contributions in the case of quarterbacks that aren't winning. And, and presumably also ranking the best themselves from one another, right? Numbers one through five, maybe they all have a winning percentage between 
six thirty and six fifty or, or higher, maybe. Yeah, Peyton Manning um, has a seventy nine wow. uh, percent winning percentage just over the last uh, four full seasons, uh, and then Aaron Rodgers has seventy seven percent. Tom Brady seventy seven percent. So they're very close. So part of what we're, I guess we're trying to settle with this stat school is like how to best evaluate greatness in general, as as we often talk about on the show. Um, so so let's talk about Drew Brees, who I think uh, you wanted us to use as our uh, Sherpa mule guide. We never know what to call call these 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 nice people who let us pin a podcast onto their careers. <laughs> our example. Yeah. Example's right. so boring, Kate. I know. Yeah. I don't well, want to offend anybody though. Yeah, yeah sometime uh, someday we'll come up with an appropriate uh, our, our Tibetan listeners got very upset yeah, with us nickname. about using Sherpa as the people that we were. We have a huge following to, in uh, Porters. Tibet. What about a porter? Yeah. Sure. Someone who's bringing us from place A to place B? Okay. Right? Usher. Usher. And ooh, and then we could get Usher to sponsor a stat school. Usher's new album, the the uh, oh the artist, the uh, artist. Usher. The I didn't know Usher. if you had made like Big a new. The wheels are really turning. I feel I, like I, I'm uh, sharp today, guys. Okay, this, yeah. Neil, Drew Brees, four years. What do you got for me in, in, in winning percentage? Yeah, so uh, as part of the preparation for this, I just wanted to find an example of a quarterback that sort of went against this trend of the best quarterbacks must have great winning percentages. And Drew Brees is a really good example uh, from 2011 through 2014. So the four seasons that led up to this current season that we're in right now, uh, he had a winning percentage of only 59.4, which is about nine and a half a wins loser. per season. Good. Yeah, Get very, him out of there. Far below uh, some of the other people that we mentioned, like Peyton Manning. Uh, and so... It creates this conundrum because Drew Brees statistically, and we'll talk about this a little bit more, the ways that they can measure that, is even to the eye test, I guess, even, is uh, a great quarterback. Uh, So the wins don't agree with that. And then you have to think, oh, well, why is that true? Is it because he, which is more likely, is it because he actually isn't a great quarterback? He's just kind of a mediocre guy. Or is it because the winning percentage isn't capturing everything we want it to? And statisticians have, as they generally do, come down on the side of the ladder and say, well, there are better ways that we can measure and isolate the individual from so a, his team. A bad defense, a bad running game, whatever else That's might right. taint a quarterback's winning percentage. Okay, so, uh, Kate, do you feel like you're ready for lesson two? I am. I feel I feel. The winning percentage was pretty easy, I feel like, um, I to kind of make it through. It. Yeah. Thanks you to your it. eloquent, it. Your eloquent hey, teaching. That's for the tight end episode. Okay, so... <laughs> Uh, Neil, certificates handed out. You feel you feel oh, yeah. good about your students' progress. Will you sign mine though first before we move on? Oh sure, yeah. Let me pull out my pen right now. Neil, you've been practicing that Statman signature. That's right. I like that. It's very elaborate. Yeah. Um, let's move on to segment two, class two, lesson two. Neil, what is even more advanced from quarterback winning percentage, but not quite as advanced as possible? Yeah, I mean this one. Uh, I I don't know that I would uh, necessarily. F- feel comfortable calling it advanced uh but it certainly is more advanced than winning percentage so novice intermediate well what if i consider it advanced yeah what does that well, should I make? Uh, and You're supposed all, to be an equal opportunity teacher neil yeah. not That's shaming right. your students uh, i don't want to shame the it. students and particularly if you look at the formula this is the one that this is a stat that's sort of notorious for people make fun of it as an example of the impenetrability of stats in general uh, in sports is because this formula is just weird and uh i'm What's talking about stat? Uh, passer rating, the NFL's uh, passer rating this formula. Is QBR. Uh, no, this is quarterback rating. That's Not different <laughs> than QBR, and that for maximal confusion, uh, things have been named similarly. But uh, 
the history of this stat, it goes back to 1971. Uh, they used to rank quarterbacks by, uh, I think, raw yardage. So they would say, oh, the passing crown, whatever that even means, uh, in the league should go to the quarterback who had the most yards. And I think people were saying, like, well, that's kind of dumb. You know, there's touchdowns. There's completion percentage. People were passing more. But uh, the AFL was a league the, that eventually would merge with the NFL. By that point, it had. Uh, that passing was more a part of the game than it was in the NFL and it really you know the game was opening up and so they wanted a better metric of and fantasy measuring. points didn't exist yet fantasy points would not exist for yeah for another uh, more than a decade but uh, they they wanted a statistical measure. So Pete Rosell, who was the commissioner of football, he asked some guys, uh, one of whom runs the Elias Sports Bureau, who you still hear about, you know, checking stats and providing facts for these leagues, to come up with a formula that would better rate passers. And so they came up with this passer rating formula that takes into account completion percentage, which is just, you know, uh, as a percentage of your passes attempted, how many did you complete to the receiver? And, you know, reasonable to include that, I think. Yards per attempt, which is the average you know yardage progressed down the field when you attempt to pass by you know by your team, the the percentage of your attempts that are touchdowns, uh, and those three are positive categories. It's mm-hmm. better to be higher in those. And then the negative category is interceptions as a percentage of your attempts, uh, where you know it's better to throw fewer interceptions. This is all very intuitive. They plug it into a very convoluted formula and it spits out a grade that theoretically and i think it was true when they first started because they looked at stats from the 60s through 1971 uh gives you sort of like a i guess a zero to 100 scale uh but most people would be between like 60 something and 100 so it's a little like the so madden the ratings that we thing. talked about there aren't quarterbacks sometimes they get a you quarterback can rating get, out of so the, the perfect quarterback rating is i think 158.3 okay. Uh, and so it's possible to go over 100, and this is something that we would also, uh, as we see the progression of passing in the league, go way beyond what anyone imagined it would be in 1971. You're starting to see Aaron Rodgers have a career rating of like 105 or, or higher. So, uh, But at the time, it seemed reasonable. They had this metric. They kind of came up with uh, the weights for each category uh, in a just like they arbitrarily decided that completion percentage should be worth this much and touchdown percentage should be worth this much. And then they plugged it into this statistical stew and kind of spat out a number to rank quarterbacks. Yeah, I guess the part I'm wondering about is why they arbitrarily weighted which statistical category was more valuable because our frame of reference now is like fantasy points. And to some degree, and like a touchdown would be way more valuable (laughs) than just an individual completion. I mean, do you, as a, the stat man, you know, as the processor of all these things, do you think that they've weighted them appropriately? Uh, they haven't, and that's something that people would kind of later, especially in the 80s, uh, a group of, we had talked about sabermetrics with baseball. There's actually a sabermetrics of football um, related to the Pro Football Researchers Association of America. They had a newsletter in which guys would publish, and there's also something called The Hidden Game of Football, which is by Pete Palmer and John Thorne. They... Uh, they kind of poked holes in this uh, thing and they were like uh, they asked the same question as you kate they said are these weights at all like appropriate or do they make sense in comparison to how much these stats actually help you win football games and that was i think when 
the statistical community, such as it existed at the time, started to sort of move away from passer rating, and it kind of became. Right now, I think it's kind of a punchline. It's it's considered kind of a joke stat because the proportions were way off. First of all, including yards per attempt and completion percentage, sort of double counts completion percentage, and that's something that they slow down there. So yards per attempt is how many. So the passes, but to get a yard, it would have to be. Caught. It has to be completed ah, in so the that's first where the, place. Where the double right? The if you think up. about it, yards. Uh, per completion, which is, uh, you know, like mm-hmm. the number when you complete a pass, conditional on completing the pass, how long did it go, times completion percentage is equal to yards per attempt, right? So yes. you actually have two things in that formula that both include That's not good for a formula. completion percentage. What a, what a joke of a formula. I could have made a better formula than this. I think you may, After this lesson, may I could, could have, have, Chad, for sure. Um, and, and that was just kind of one of the things that people took issue with. Like it, uh, you know, it overweights completion percentage for sure. I think it overweights touchdowns and doesn't give enough weight to the damage that interceptions do. And uh, ultimately, it's also just like really arbitrary. And it's fixed to a scale, like I had said earlier, they came up with this formula by looking at like the 60s and saying, what were passing conditions like? Well, let's map it so that the average performance results in like a 70 or something like that. Well, we're obviously going in ascending, but do you think there's any validity to saying actually we could rank quarterbacks on wins losses and be more accurate and like historically about who is better and worse versus looking at passer rating? Uh, so that's kind of the frustrating thing about passer rating is that it's better than wins and losses because it does isolate the quarterback's stats himself. And it does, when you look at it, it correlates in a vacuum well enough to wins and losses that uh, you would say, you know, knowing a passer rating, uh, especially at the team level, is better than just straight up looking at, you know, wins and losses for the quarterback. But uh, I think the frustration from the statistical community was just coming from, like, And how angry were they, do you think? Oh, they were breaking their pocket protectors over their knees, like, right now. So it was serious. It was so serious um, back then. Okay, so... What's interesting here to me is that these are all the building blocks of a quarterback's success. Some double counted, whatever else. But still, this isn't good enough, right? But there's a way to create something that's more accurate and is not accurate at all. Uh, when, whenever doing any stats, I guess, right? That like any type of metric or model that you create, just because it's uh, approaching some better ideal doesn't mean that it's even close to the ideal in the first place. Uh, and that the other ones are a little better, but we're going to talk about it later, so I should stop asking questions about it. Yeah, there it, uh, there have been a bunch of attempts to try to make it better, and um, one of the ways was just, uh, like you alluded to, Kate, changing the weighting and just kind of figuring out, like, okay, how? Uh, let's actually sit down and work out how much is a yard of passing worth and how much is a touchdown worth. You know, uh, obviously it's worth a certain amount on the, on the scoreboard, but trying to isolate, like, in the context of... Of an offense, if you know, like a yard is your measuring stick, how much marginal because touchdowns do include yards also like you had to have gained the the last yard to cross the goal line then also how much marginal value is there to that act of scoring the touchdown and how you know how much of a penalty should a uh, an interception cost you in terms of actual field position because that's kind of what things uh, all of these things should be ideally measuring if you're going to have a yard of, mm-hmm. of field position moving toward the goal that you're trying to score at then you should also say uh, an interception actually cost you 45 yards of field position and that's what uh, Palmer and Thorne eventually found in this very influential book The Hidden Game of Football uh, they're like let's actually break this down logically and figure out what the equivalences are in yardage and that was an improvement off the bat 
let's talk about Drew Brees again. Is he more in line with our thinking about Drew Brees in passer rating than he was with win percentage? Oh, for sure. Yeah, Drew Brees, uh, over the years that we were looking at, his passer or his win-loss percentage, like we said, 59%. That's like maybe above average, but like pretty mediocre uh, as far as these things go. But his passer rating was 102.1, which... That's Aaron Rodgers' level. Mm-hmm. Sort of. Earlier, uh, I should say so. that Aaron Rodgers was at 112.6, which also goes back to what we were saying about the problems with passer rating is that it is scaled against what was good and bad in 1968 uh, or 70 or whatever. Uh, and the passing game really exploded starting in 1978 where they loosened restrictions on defenders to be able to touch receivers and things like that. And really has just gone ever more toward you know crazy numbers in the years since, especially in recent years. Uh, and so what used to be considered a really good passer rating is now, you know, like if you were in the 90s as a passer, you were considered to be like one of the best quarterbacks in football as recently as like the 1990s but then now if you're in the 90s you have to be there just to kind of keep up and be above average the league average is is in the mid to high 80s right now which is not at all what it was in the 60s yeah Um, uh, okay so so i feel good about passer rating i'm still a little one more question yeah go ahead sure if you use like a car metaphor, did the, the folks who developed this particular vehicle in the 60s and 70s, did they do the best they could with what they had at that time? Or was that a clunker? No, I think it was the best they could do with what they have because like computing was not really much of a thing back then. Like all of these things that we take for granted now that I can run a regression and figure out the equivalencies of yardage to, you know, touchdowns and interceptions on my computer this afternoon if I want wanted to they would have to go into a room where the computer was like the size of the whole room and and kind of plug in punch cards so i think it absolutely was the best they could do but that doesn't mean that we can't improve on it as technology gets absolutely better. and the inertia of sports just kept it going okay i think i got like a c plus b minus mm-hmm. i'm gonna grade myself on that oh, segment. Really? what how are you feeling about your progress kate it depends what questions professor Payne would ask oh interesting yeah is you it know? an open I mean, book test is it an essay is I it, think a it's open if it was an note. essay i think i would blow it away okay. like i I comprehend it, but You're I don't. I don't want to like. I couldn't. Though. I couldn't like write out the equation for right. it. But know? in an abstract way, you. you get I, the I feel like I'm an A minus. Yeah, okay. it's going to be an open note exam. So oh. I hope you guys were furiously scribbling down. You um, saw us take those. Yeah, notes. I mean, we've. I've, yeah, I have this recorded, so I'll just listen back yeah. to yeah. it. Um, that's what podcasts are for. Okay, yeah. so <laughs> I like that you record our own podcast in the. I'm in recording a double just in case something fails on the technology end. Got to be prepared. Yeah, Neil. Third lesson, final lesson, the pinnacle of quarterback stats, at least that you think that we can comprehend. I'm sure there's a whole extra galaxy out there that you're not willing to take us to. What is more complicated than winning percentage, more complicated than passer rating, and presumably more accurate than both? And still comprehens- you know, comprehensible for like an average human mind. Right. Uh, So the third stat is called expected points. And uh, I'm going to go back to Palmer and Thorne because they their book was just so influential on football statistics in their book. Well, in addition to coming up with like a better passer rating using the conventional box score stats, they posited and, and they couldn't actually compute it at the time because, again, they didn't have like the database technology and certainly didn't have um, the types of computing power that we have now, they posited this idea of, well, why don't we track like 
we know based on like down and distance and current field position how many points you can expect to score uh, before the other team scores again. And so, okay, so let's get, take an example. Right. So Kate and I are and on Wal- the hot takedowners, the hot downers. Walt's our quarterback. Walt's our Ooh. quarterback, exactly. Bad news uh, already. We're, on, we're, on, we're lining up in, a, in an I formation. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're on the 23, opponent's 23-yard line, uh, and, it's, and it's first and 10, I guess, right? And you're telling me that, that you could say how many points we're supposed to score, given and all we're teams 23 or yards given us away. Two, right, yes, exactly. Before... Yeah, good, so sorry. you're on your own 23? No, we're 23 yards 20. You're from on the opponent's the I mean, that's worth zone. at least four expected points, right? Right. You figure you definitely get definitely the field, field goal. goal and, and maybe a 30% and, chance yeah. we're going to score? I don't know, I'm just making these things up. Neil, but j- for you've taught us well. Neil is furiously typing these arbitrary numbers into we an online to, calculator to see whether or not... We're stretching out the time we're talking. We're vamping, as, right? Yeah, we're really vamping right now. As Neil processes this. So this situation... Uh, first and ten uh, from the opponent's twenty-three. Yeah, did you say that Walt is our quarterback? Does that matter? That Plug I that could into your try formula. to build that in um, <laughs> by making the Vegas line be like you're expected to lose by fifty points or something like that. <laughs> but if if you are in sort of an average situation, it's the first quarter. The ball's at the opponent's twenty-three. It's first and ten. Your expected points. You said this, Chad. I think. It's almost exactly four. What about what I said? I, like, I, I, I graduate immediately. I, I said, said. I said there's like a thirty percent chance we get the touchdown. So I don't it's have 20. that number right now. Well, wait, of, wouldn't it be twenty five percent basically? Or no, because the field goal is not a gimme, and there yeah. would be interceptions. Yeah, yeah. Got it. All right, yeah. sorry, but okay. uh, uh, f- an expected points of four. That means that based on your situation, you're either going to score a touchdown. There's like a good shot that you'll score, or your field position is so advantageous for your defense. If they were to get the ball back, mm-hmm. uh, even if you turned it over on downs, you would likely get the ball uh, after the offense, mm-hmm. uh, the opposing offense did their thing. You would get it back in a pretty good position too, and then uh, all of this would eventually kind of compound on itself until you scored a touchdown. And that's because yardage is really the unit of fall rather than points. That's right. Yeah, and and that was something that uh, Palmer and Thorne really figured out was that field position is is fluid and it does depend like you're you're have these competing objectives of you're trying to gain as much yardage as possible but you're trying to gain it in these 10-yard chunks before your downs run out. Uh but that you can compute if you smooth out a lot of different things the the expected points and then the value of any given play, especially from the quarterback's perspective like a pass completed down the field is equal to uh your Star, your the the expected points that you will score after that play is concluded minus the expected points that you had going into that play. So simply put, like a quarterback who doesn't throw interceptions in the red zone is going to have a better total in this particular statistic than a quarterback who does. Yeah, because there's like a, there's a lot of expected points on the line. Right. There's like a leverage aspect. And we talked about leverage index in baseball, uh, which just means that like, yeah, when you're in a situation down near the opponent's goal line, it is really important to capitalize on that. And those are sort of more high leverage. And also the down can also make it le- uh, high leverage because the difference between picking up the yards necessary on third down versus, you know, having to punt on on fourth is really big compared to what the same yardage situation would be on between first and second. And that's also baked in. Like this is uh, an improvement over the raw numbers that you saw go into passer rating because like if your quarterback is consistently and um, a friend of mine is a huge Buffalo Bills fan and we watch the game uh, pretty much every week. Tyrod Taylor was making a lot of throws. uh, I guess at this point it'll be two weeks ago uh, for the listener uh, that were short of like the pass was completed on third down 
down, but it was short of the sticks. And those completions in the stat sheet, if it's like, you know, third and 10 and you complete a nine yard pass, a nine yard pass in like a, a neutral context situation is pretty good. Like, you know, that's that's what it's you would well hope the to. the average of yards Right. Yeah. The, the league yards per attempt is something in the high sevens or, or eight. So you're doing better than average. But if you put in this context of like, how is it actually helping your team score based on the rules of football and, and the down and distance? It's actually kind of bad. It's below average because you didn't pick up the first down. You didn't even target the ball past the, the marks mm-hmm. so to the markers. I have two more questions. One, this is compared to league average that year or the NFL's history historic average. Like So expected point added, where is the expectation coming from? Yeah, so you can do it in a number of ways. And uh, I think some of the more advanced ones try to kind of project it forward and figure out like in the context of this year based on the scoring environment mm-hmm. and all of the various other things, what is a, a yard worth? But you could just like build a very good expected points model by just taking the last like five years worth of play by play and then trying to map, you know, every down and distance and, and yardage situation to how much was scored over the past five years. Okay. And so the average expected points added, is it zero because of it, there's expectation involved? It's not zero, uh, interestingly enough, for quarterbacks. Like if you looked at every quarterback in the league and added up their expected points, it would be positive, which is kind of weird because you would think, oh, well, that's why, why does, uh, wouldn't we expect it to always be centered around zero and that there would be good passers that help their teams and some that don't? And the, one of the implications of this is that passing is a better proposition in terms of helping teams score than running the ball is. And in fact, running the ball has its own, like a lot of times you will intentionally give away expected points on uh, rushing plays in order to milk the clock and get win probability added. And that may be Whoa. for another uh, a, another podcast. Mm-hmm. But that's uh, the concept of win probability added is just taking the same idea as expected points added and saying like, what's the difference between the play at the end of it and the play at the beginning and instead of measuring the difference in uh, this expected point stat uh, measuring it in win probability which is what are your odds of winning taking into account all of the things that expected points has so like field position down and distance but also adding in what is the score and how much time is left in the game this is something as a Giants fan I know well yeah um, (laughs) from week one and also from like it seems I don't know maybe it's just because I'm paying attention to them but they seem to always put themselves in these predicaments like at the (laughs) end of the Super Bowl against the Patriots in 2011 where they almost like didn't want to score a touchdown you're in that weird like Bradshaw fell over backwards on his butt he he tried to step up he couldn't and then he sort of stumbled in um, right, like there's that whole, it's almost like, you know, like the clutch and gas on a car where you're trying to, for that perfect balance of time. So many car metaphors today, Kate. I know. You really love the car metaphors, Kate. I don't here? know why. <laughs> I did lease a car a couple months ago. Maybe okay. it's just playing on my mind. <laughs> Could be. But, I mean, you're, you're like, you're kind of playing, right, on that, like, do I want more win probability, less time off the clock, leave points on the table. Yeah, exactly. And so in a lot of rushing plays, you're you're deliberately leaving points on the table. And so since overall, a- across all offensive plays, so passes and rushes and, you know, fumbles that happen when the ball snapped over the punter's head, uh, those all average out to zero expected points across the whole league. Uh, but when looking at passes as a subset, it kind of means that teams are not passing enough still. Like, we still haven't 
reach that equilibrium where it would be better to kind of, you know, when everyone else is passing to to run the ball. But also it does speak to this phenomenon of the clock and, and the clock's, you know, not stopping when you run the ball. So you need to milk it at the end of games. I guess, do you think that, is there any way to bake into stats needing to convince the defense that you can do things other than passing? That's right? another that's interesting the yeah, thought. Point. I think a lot of teams run is to be like, we're not always passing. Got to, you know, got to be honest on our run. Right. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I think that's another part of why you see this, like, if you looked at it strictly from an expected points uh, you'd standpoint, pass every time. you'd be like, gosh, we're not passing enough. We need to do more. So that's why it's so tough to say like what the optimal run pass balance is in the league, because it is a it's a game theory question. And it's a, a question of like trying to find what's called like the Nash equilibrium, where you're doing the optimal thing from your perspective and the defense is doing the optimal thing from its perspective and no one can kind of improve. And it's tough to say w- whether we've reached that or, or not. It's tough, really tough to measure that. Well, is it tough to say if Chip Kelly has mastered it yet? <laughs> I think he may be the toughest of all to, <laughs> to tell. Okay, so quickly let's talk about uh, our guide, Mule Sherpa Porter. Example. Example. Usher. For Usher. <laughs> for uh, For expected points added. Uh, we're going to move on from Drew Brees. Is that right, Neil? Yeah, so we we couldn't let Drew Brees kind of carry the load all by himself, so we wanted to bring in another quarterback to that kind of typifies this difference w- that that talks about like uh, passer rating in and of itself, huge improvement over winning percentage, but it can also be improved by fixing the formula and also by just looking at these expected points instead of using the traditional box score yards touchdowns interceptions that kind of thing so we're uh, we're going to bring in cam newton as our example of a guy who just by looking at his passer rating you might think oh this guy really isn't so hot you know he had uh, an 85 passer rating uh, over the preceding four seasons and that is right around league average actually um uh, he like a shade over league average so you think cam newton you know he's an all right passer uh, but one of the things passer rating also notoriously doesn't take into account is is rushing and so you know cam newton could get credit for that and he could get credit for just doing little things that like keep the offense on schedule even if it's not being captured in his uh conventional box score stats and if you look at his expected points he's actually one of the best quarterbacks in the league and you mentioned qbr which is espn's improvement upon quarterback rating it at its foundation uses expected points as the metric that sort of so Cam drives Newton has a good QBR as well. So Cam Newton had, yeah, like a top 11, I want to say, QBR over the span that we we're looking at, even though he was kind of average among uh, passers in quarterback rating. Probably win-loss. And, you know, win-loss, yeah. I mean, they're right around 500 uh, most of the year. So, you know, it, it makes sense that he would show up as someone that you need to kind of add in these extra wrinkles, and especially the rushing component is big for him. Uh, and it can make the difference between, you know, uh, looking like an average quarterback and looking like one of the, you know, arguably a top 10 quarterback based on it. So it's funny to think about how even though passer rating is isolating individual performance much better, especially if you think back to the 70s, the best they could do pretty much compared to something really dumb and really like broad based like wins and losses that you can improve on it enough to make an average quarterback look really good or vice versa um, by using 
something even more like play-by-play based rather than box score based. Okay, I feel like I actually did better in the harder course than I, think I did so in too. the intermediate course. What do you What do you think? Kate? Yeah, and I feel like of all this is the third stat school. I feel like I'm I truly understand these stats the best. The football compared stats. to baseball ones. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Well, you're also more of a football fan, I, I think. It's well, but what's interesting it's though? It's true. That's true, Neil. It's a good point. There might be more intrinsic knowledge happening. But what's sure. interesting is that football, I think, is actually a hard, more complicated game to derive one person's individual value from, mm-hmm. um, and maybe that appeals to you, Kate. You know, you like you sure. like all the co- complicating factors, and you want to figure out whatever isolates and, and whatever we can know. And it might be that the baseball ones are just so extreme, right? That, that they go they go so down the, the rabbit hole because they've been doing you know so many years. Neil, Neil, just read off some acronyms of what you didn't share with us today, for the, like for the QB? Oh, off, off, yeah, like what. What was lesson four, five, and six that we just like would not have been able to grasp? Well, we could have talked about D Y A R D R D R D R. We could have talked about D V O A. So Voa. you know there are things that we Voa. can talk about, but we talked about Q B R. Which uh, should we feel insulted? No, I th- I don't think so. I, I think I feel educated, not insulted. Okay. Yeah, it's just all about kind of like getting you to that level of uh, you know what you what you need to know to be conversant in mm. football stats. You mm-hmm. know, like bar talk. Yeah. More so- oh yeah, you're gonna really you're gonna bust out QBR at the. At this the is bar, gonna be a right? big hit on Sunday. It's huge, huge hit. This is a big deal. Yeah. All right, guys. I feel Neil. Did we get our certificates? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm gonna stamp my rubber stamp on it right now. You've really embossed it well this time. Is this I'm a really, new stamp? Yeah, I'm impressed. Yeah, I got uh, I got notarized um, wow. over the weekend. So good. I hope you I hope you expense that. I mean, this is this is your profession. Oh, is this course. a side business? Yeah, I'm, I'm running a little thing out of my uh, out of my apartment. <laughs> Listeners, if you want your own embossed, actually, I can't offer your own embossed Come stamp on and in email and podcast take a stat at five thirty eight. Um, but that will do it for this. <laughs> Week show. Thanks as always to Kate Fagan. Thanks, Chad. Neil Payne. Thanks, Chad. Oh, Neil gave me a little fist bump when that when that happened. It was, it was a bro important. moment. Excellent. Our podcast producer is Jody Avergan. Our video producer is Ryan Nantel. We got production assistance from Jordan Shulkin and Lois St. Jacques. Our intern is Sarah Patterson. You can email us at podcast at 538.com. We'd love to hear what you think if you have ideas for future stat schools. It is our go-to vacation pod of choice, so please keep them coming. Um, find us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Downcast, all sorts of other apps. We're on iTunes. Subscribe at iTunes.com slash 538. Be sure to review and or rate the show. It helps others discover the program. Our theme song is by Mystery Mansion. I'm Chadwick Matlin. Talk to you next time.